You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. I am uh, Mark McNelly. I'm the director of outreach here on campus. And today I'm, we're going to be talking a lot about groaning. Uh, you're going to hear that word a lot. Uh, so you may have gotten Bob's email, e-note, uh, earlier this week. Uh, this is going to be the last time I preach at the 940 service. I'll be transitioning out of my role here and moving into God's calling at Victory Mission. I've taken a position at Victory Mission and feel like that is where God is leading the McNally family. And in the spirit of groaning, uh, I just want to share with you all, looking out over, over this uh, 940 service, so I got saved and I came here and I made my public proclamation, proclamation of faith, sorry, getting emotional, right there. And for 10 years, almost 10 years, I've journeyed with you and you have poured into me and you have prepared me uh, for a life of service and calling to God. And, and I just want to deeply say thank you and that, um, that I will miss you. Okay? Well, on a lighter note, uh, in the McNelly house, I do a lot of dad jokes. Are you familiar with dad jokes? The puns, the really horrible, yeah, okay, I see some nods. All right, when I do this, my wife and my children groan. They're just like, you know, they give the eye roll and then it's, ugh, dad. So I want to share some of those with you. Most recently, did you hear the joke about the submarine? It was a joke about, yeah, it didn't go down well. So that one did. And then I told him about, you know, I don't uh, understand the apocalypse. You know, I don't really understand it, but it's not the end of the world. So, and it, yeah, oh, we got some groaning going on over here. Did you hear about the animal in the woods that built the, the picnic table? Yeah, he did it with his bare hands. So that was another, just like groaning. The McNellies are just groaning when I'm telling these jokes. And then what does a clock do whenever it gets hungry? Goes back four seconds, right? Okay, now see, I think these are funny, but the McNellies are groaning the whole time. Now this is, I wish Pastor Jason Leininger was in the room because he's very famous for whiteboards, dry erase boards. You know why I like those? Because they're remarkable, <laughs> just remarkable, yeah. Did you hear about why the frog was waiting for the bus? His car got towed. Yeah, now, these are great, right? Now, I never liked Velcro. I never did buy much Velcro products or shoes because I always felt like they were a ripoff. I mean, it's just, now, do you see, some of you are laughing, some of you are groaning. Okay, so maybe you need to come over and have dinner at the McNally's, those of you that are laughing. And then the final one, I was uh, picking up something at Starbucks and I saw on the community board this, these are terrible puns. So I said, yeah, if you see one of those, pick it up. But when we think of groaning, don't we often think more negatively? Like when we think of groaning, we think that it's a bad thing, like we're ugh, like dad jokes. Um, we look around our nation right now, right? And we see all kinds of groaning, don't we? We see groaning over the suffering from mass shootings. We see a debate that is bringing our nation to its knees with the national anthem. We see healthcare reform, immigration reform, bringing an, on both sides, bringing an entire nation to this place of, ah, oh, why can't we figure this out? Why is this so dividing us as a people? We see na national leaders in this, this fight that could lead us to World War III, and we're just groaning about this. And when we think of all the way from dad jokes to World War III, we think, oh, there's got to be something different. Isn't life created to be different than this? Did God intend for it to be 
like this. So what do we do about groaning? Well, like many things in the Christian life and in the scriptures, we see that groaning can be redeemed. We're coming to Romans chapter eight in our series. Many of you are in classes and groups in the Roman study, and that's awesome. You're doing your daily work, I, I hope, in Jason Leininger's book. And when we come to chapter eight, really it's a mountaintop text of the book of Romans. And when we get to chapter eight, we see three times in that chapter groaning going on. And it's a good kind of groaning. It's a groaning that God does within us, within creation. And then he also reveals to us how he is groaning for a relationship. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna walk through all of the groaning that is happening in Romans 8. And what I've been doing and the worship planning team has been doing has been praying for you today, for you this morning to be stirred up into this experience of groaning for what God is calling us to and for what God is groaning within us. So the first thing we see is in chapter eight, verses 19 to 22. So if we could get that up on the screen. For all of creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all of creation has been groaning. Say it with me. Groaning. Groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So what we see there and what we know from Genesis 3 on in the scriptures is that when Adam and Eve sinned, when, when the human race chose a life apart from God and didn't trust in God, everything broke. So what we understand as Bible-believing Christians is that creation itself, not just us, when we disobeyed God, creation itself was fractured. Creation itself was broken and it was fallen. And so we are not pantheist as Christians. Pantheists believe that there is a divinity in creation, that the immaterial world has a, a spark of divine being. We don't believe that. We believe that creation was created just like us, by God for his glory and to be enjoyed and to thrive. We believe all of that about creation. And we believe that God has a relationship with creation and creation with God and creation with us. There are two stories in the gospels that I love about how John the Baptist and Jesus refer to creation. When Jesus is rolling into town on Palm Sunday, everybody's screaming and yelling for him and praising his name. And, and the Pharisees are like, hey, get them. Would you tell them to be quiet? You know, they're causing a ruckus and they're being out. And Jesus says, if they wouldn't praise, even the rocks would cry out praises to God. There's Jesus saying, no, God can use creation. God created it for his glory. And even the rocks can cry out. Another passage, John the Baptist is getting, he's getting hammered by the Pharisees and they're just like, you know, who are you telling all these people to repent? And, you know, we're the children of Abraham. And he says, John the Baptist says, even God could raise up from these rocks, children of Abraham, if he wanted to. You see what John is saying? Do you see what Jesus is saying? That God doesn't only want to have a relationship with us. He doesn't only want to redeem us. There isn't something only within us that knows that there's something better and something more. Creation itself Everything that you can see in the material world, this earth, the universe, and I would propose even systems and societies. When you look back over human history, name me one society, governmental or economic system that has stood the test of time, that has existed without any injustice or any impression. You can't because there isn't. Systems, societies, 
creation, the material world understands that God created all of us to be in this relationship. And creation groans. Creation is groaning for that. Now, the next thing we see is, let's just keep going in verse 23. It says, and we believers also groan. Say it again with me. We, we groan. We believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope. So we're joining creation. We're waiting in hope for the day that God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So why don't we have that type of groaning? How many of you, whenever you hear that, verse 23, whenever you heard that read, how many of you are like, yeah, that's me. I wake up every day and I'm groaning for sin and suffering to be released from my body. I'm, I'm done with it. I'm, I'm fully sanctified. Those of you that have been around the church know what that means. <laughs> sanctified, fully separated from our old life and our sin and our suffering and we are like Jesus. That's what it means. Not many of us, right? Not many of us have that type of a, of a groan inwardly. We groan about dad jokes, right? We groan about the injustices and, and the inequality and, and all of the messed upness in the world. We groan about that, but do we groan for the release of sin and suffering within our bodies? And the reason why we don't is because we have developed this ability, even as Christians, to numb ourselves and to dull our spiritual senses. Paul would write in Corinthians that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary and transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what we do is we focus, we fix our eyes rather on the seen world. We fix our eyes on relationship struggles and financial difficulty and world, even good causes like world hunger and injustice. And we focus ourselves on that and we get all consumed with it. And before we know it, after enough time and enough energy and focus on that, we have dulled and we have numbed our spiritual senses to an unseen reality, to where God is and to where God wants to stir an inward groaning not only for those things, some of those things are okay to be concerned about, but what God ultimately is wanting in terms of groaning within us is to be released, to be released from these things that separate us from him, to be released from these things that separate us from each other. In Ephesians, Paul says that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God, that our sin can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In Thessalonians, he says that we can quench the Spirit of God. So there's a Michelangelo painting from about 500 years ago. It's in the roof of the Sistine Chapel um, in Rome. And uh, if we could put a picture of that up now. And uh, many of you are familiar with this painting. And the, the hand on the right is God's hand. Uh, God's hand is reaching down. And God is, is leaning in to Adam. And do you notice Adam's posture from his hand? When we dull and when we numb our spiritual senses... That is an illustration of what is happening in our relationship with God. We see God coming at us. We see God reaching for us. And, uh, uh, and it's because in our other hand down here, this isn't in the Michelangelo painting, but in my mind, I visualize because in our other hand are these other things, are these sins, these pet sins that we hold on to that we aren't willing to give up, that are weighing us down, that are keeping us from reaching up to God. 
and the suffering that we hold on to in, in our hearts and the anger and the bitterness and the resentment and all of the envy and greed and sloth and all of the sins and the suffering in our life, as long as we don't release them, they're weighing us down and our hand is up like this and we're, uh, uh, we aren't reaching back up in response to God's leaning in to us. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory, and the quote in that book really helps bring this to light even more. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far, far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis just captured this, this aspect of Romans 8 that Paul is writing about. And he's saying that when we live in this seen world only, what is happening when we live in the seen world only is that we aren't living into the new world. We aren't living into this new normal. Jason in the book and then Bob recently has been talking about Romans 8 as being descriptive of a new normal. At the end of chapter 7, Paul writes that the thing, I got these things that I want to do and I can't seem to do them. And then I got these other things that I don't want to do and I seem to keep doing those. What is going on within me? What is this internal battle? And how do I deal with that? And then right after that in Romans 7, he jumps into Romans 8 and he describes that it doesn't have to be like that anymore. There's this new normal. And earlier you heard read in the scripture, the end of Romans 8, where nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So why is that not, not our reality? I would propose to you it is because we are making mud pies and we're satisfied with making mud pies. In our life, we just continue to make these, the sin and the suffering that we aren't released from yet, and we just, we accept it. And we live in it. And we allow it to be our normal. And God is promising us a new normal. And we continue to numb and dull ourselves with a focus on even the good or bad things in the seen world. So how does God respond to this? As we keep going, we've seen two references to groaning so far in the scripture. And a little later on in verse 26, we read, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with what? groanings. The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So this text, um, that particular verse this week sparked a question within me that I've probably asked myself a hundred times, and I'm going to ask you today. Do you realize how bad that God wants a relationship with you? Are you fully aware? Have you allowed yourself to contemplate based on the unblemishing promises of reward and release from sin and suffering and nothing separating us from the love of God and a full redemption of our bodies and eternal life, do we realize how badly God wants a relationship with us? 
As I mentioned earlier, I came to faith as an adult, age 35, jumped in the scriptures, and I've talked to so many people that grew up in church, that grew up under heavy-handed preaching, and grew up under a lot of hellfire and brimstone type of preaching, and when I hear them talk about their relationship with God, here's how I would describe. It almost feels like they understand they are forgiven, they believe that they're going to have eternal life, but in the meantime, God is just tolerating them, right? That God is just kind of putting up with us. That God's going to deal with all of the crap that we do and all the stuff that we don't release to him and, and give up to him. And he's so frustrated with us, but he's already made this deal with the whole cross and resurrection thing. So he's got to stand firm on his promise, right? But do you, see, do you ever talk to people who have had this whole experience with God that's, that's built in guilt and, and shame? And, and you get this understanding that God is just tolerating us? I am here to present Romans 8 to you tells us a completely different story about God's relationship to us. And it is a relationship where he is longing and God is groaning to be in relationship with us. What is the number one most important component to any relationship? Anyone? Communication. Communication. Well, what did Paul just say the Holy Spirit is doing for us? He's helping us pray, right? What is communication with God? Prayer. God is so desperate for a relationship with us. He's looking down on us and saying through Paul, you guys can't even pray, but that's okay. I'm gonna give you my spirit and my spirit is gonna come within you and is gonna pray for you and with you. And you may not even understand what he's saying and that doesn't matter. What matters is I want a relationship with you. I just wanna be with you. I want us to talk with each other. That's what prayer is again. I want to zoom out on the Michelangelo painting. I have it again with the whole painting. Look at, look at God in that picture, leaning down in out of heaven. And look at Adam's posture, right? He's leaning back on his, on his elbow. I love what Michelangelo captured there in the heart of God and the desire for God to have a relationship with each and every one of us. Now, earlier, um, Christy read chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. And, and wasn't that just a, wasn't that a sweeping amount of new normal, of promises? Nothing can separate us. Not even angels or demons or rulers or suffering or we're being crucified and, and the, the believers of the day were being persecuted relentlessly. Not even that can separate us. Not death. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the holiday at sea. Remember the C.S. Lewis quote? We're making mud pies. The holiday at the sea is Romans 8, 35 to 39. Let me just read that again. It's such a powerful text of scripture. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow. How many of you have fears for today and worries about tomorrow? More mud pies, Paul says, more mud pies. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. I think he's putting everything under, under the umbrella of these promises. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, those of us that believe that. 
What if we started seeing that as our new normal? What if we started seeing that as the holiday at the sea? What if we started to look at the mud pies that we consume ourselves with and that we allow to not be released from us, those, the sin and the suffering, and we say, you know what? I can see it, it's real, but nothing can separate me from Christ's love and I'm choosing the holiday at the sea. And I am choosing to believe that these promises in Romans 8 are true, even though they don't make sense to me. And even though I don't understand them all. What would happen if that was the case for us? In Romans 8, Earlier, Paul gives us a little hint as to how this happens kind of practically in our relationship with him. Because what happens, I think, a lot of times as Christians is we hear the good news. We hear the fact that God is longing for a relationship with us. He's not just tolerating us. That we have the promise of the holiday at the sea and we have the resurrection life, right? Well, then what about the crucifixion? And here's what Paul says in verse 17. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If, say that word with me, if, some translations say provided we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, I think a lot of times we can want the resurrection life without the crucifixion of the flesh, right? We can want to skip the cross and go straight to the empty tomb. God promises the resurrection life. He promises that in your life, you get the holiday at the sea, you get the empty tomb, but you only get it through the cross. Each of us make conscious decisions, as I mentioned earlier, to to look at the sin and the suffering in our life, to look at them as mud pies and say, I'm releasing those things. I'm releasing them. I am not putting my faith in those anymore. I'm not gonna accept living into those things and I'm not going to invest in them in my heart. You see, we love the teachings of Jesus. We admire the life and the sacrifice of Jesus. But do we understand that that's the life that we are called to as followers of Jesus? Now, that doesn't mean we go out looking for suffering. Peter talks about that. We don't go make our own suffering. We can do that with bad choices. But when we live in a world, like we mentioned earlier, creation is groaning, systems and societies are groaning, everything is broken around us. And when we start to live in the seen world, with the unseen mindset and heart set and priorities and purposes, making decisions informed only by those things, we will suffer. We will suffer because we will be running counter to a culture that has not bought in to that. So I, I would, I'm just gonna offer up a, a spiritual discipline for me that is part of Romans 8, 17, uh, the if we indeed share in his sufferings. Now, I'm not equating this spiritual discipline with hanging on a cross by any stretch, so please don't hear me saying that. Uh, But I have resisted the spiritual discipline of fasting for most of my Christian life, Uh, but I've uh, re-entered into it this year. I've re-entered fasting, and I do that from Friday, Thursday dinner through Friday dinner. Um, It's my day off, so I switched it from Wednesday to then because I felt like I could not be hurried around when I was fasting. And this past week, when I was fasting on Friday, my stomach started groaning. You guys know what hunger pains are like, right? And in those times when I'm fasting and I'm hungry, it opens up my spiritual senses. And all of the things that I do from social media to entertaining myself with Netflix to you name it, whatever you do to separate you from the reality of the things in your life that are the sin and the suffering in your life, When you decide 
to do a spiritual discipline like fasting and you can find another one that connects you with God. This week, those hunger pains really connected me to this idea of groaning. And I started groaning on Friday. I read this verse over and over and I said, God, what would it look like if I actually started groaning for the release of sin and suffering in my life? What would that look like? And I spent the day in prayer with him. And I would ask you, what is it in verse 17 there? Indeed, if we share in his sufferings, we will also share in his glory. What is it for you? What is it for you that you need to, what mud pie do you need to let go of to live into this holiday at the sea? Well, I love slides. Those of you uh, here at 940 get a lot of Jake's preaching. He is not a proponent of slides, if, you, if you've noticed. Very seldom slides. But I have a picture. I was doing some searching on kids making mud pies because of C.S. Lewis's famous quote. There's, a, there's an imagery. That's what we do right there. Whenever this is what's promised. This is Mason and Kinsley at Gulf Shores last summer. Completely exuberant in their... Can we move it to the next slide? Completely exuberant with the holiday at the sea. Look at their joy, right? And then look at them boogie boarding. On the way there, they're like, we're not getting in the ocean. There's sharks in there. As soon as we got them those boogie boards, that was over. But I, I found those pictures and I thought to myself, that's what God wants for you and for me in our relationship with him. Joy in the midst of suffering and pain and trial and tribulation. That's the promise that Romans 8 offers us. That's the new normal. And I wonder today, as the band comes forward, um, I wonder today if we might take a moment or two and just ask God. I didn't want to leave you with, find something in your life and give it up. Some of us preachers love to give you application. It's good. It's, today the application is to sit in your spirit and ask God to help you. Help you to groan for what he groans for. Groan for a release of sin and suffering. Grown for a, an ability to believe in these promises and to live in them in spite of what's happening around you. Let me pray before we do that work together. God, in this moment, in this moment, I pray you would send your Holy, you promised you would, so send your Holy Spirit into this place and stir our hearts, whether we are understanding what your Spirit is doing within us or not, stir it and bring us into an experience of a relationship in communication with you and stir us to groan for you. To groan for this understanding of how deeply you love us and how much you went to and how much you went through to make this possible for us. Do this today in our hearts. Do this so that you are glorified with the worship that happens in this place and with the new hearts and the new minds and the new perspective and the new normal that we take out of here today into our life and our families and our workplaces and into the broken world this week. Take a moment and do this work, please, with me.